I am so thankful for Ephraim preaching last week. Uh, the man is a gift. What a gift he is. Praise God. I, uh, I, I, I don't know anybody who can uh, be so confrontational in a message and yet say it in a way that it's received. I bet a lot of people walked out of here and it wasn't until you got on, on 36 or on 94 that all of a sudden you realized you just got slugged between the eyes, didn't you? Uh, but he, he has a way of doing that. It's like, you know, in Jesus' name, and we need that. And yet it's like he uses his humor and everything just to, uh, to, to soften it. But I, I thank God for the message he brought and for the way he brought, about, brought it about. That's a, he's, he's really a gift to us. Um, I am the love doctor, as you know, and we are talking about love. And we are on a six-month study on love because if we don't get this one down, there ain't nothing else worth getting down. I was actually, because of some circumstances in my life the last uh, week or so, was going to kind of veer off of the, that topic. And then the Lord just really showed me how the, the next passage I was supposed to preach on uh, was really absolutely perfect uh, in terms of articulating what I wanted to articulate, uh, share what I want to share. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. You all should be getting this chapter memorized by now. Where Paul says that love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. And there is, I believe, found in that passage a key, uh, maybe the key, to living a fruitful, passionate, love-filled, Christ-centered life amidst whatever mess you're a part of. Um, I didn't see it till this week, and it just kind of came alive to me. We're in the middle of, and and so that's what I want to be kind of meditating on uh, in, in this talk. We're in the middle of the holiday season. And for a lot of us, as the sister said, that is a time of struggling. It's um, not an easy time. For some people, they they actually struggle with depression. For others, it's just sort of a subtle melancholy. For some, it's kind of just the bittersweet quality that goes along uh, with Christmas. I've always found that. I I enjoy Christmas. I love it. I get into it. But there's always sort of this uh, bittersweet quality to it. And and, um, it just sort of hovers there. And it's not hard to figure out why that is, really, if you think about it. The holiday season, we have all these uh, symbols that are repeated each year and music that are, that, that's repeated each year and scenes that are repeated each year. And each one of those uh, uh, triggers memories and associations and feelings. For some people, it's just a recollection of, of what the past was like. Uh, you think about the innocence, perhaps, of your childhood and fond memories of Christmas past. Christmas is like a benchmark uh, in, our, in our lives, and it, it sort of denotes the, the passing of the years. And you think back on the innocence of childhood, and you realize that you'll never have that again. And there's a part of you, isn't there, that longs for that. You know, before you learned out how tough life could be, how harsh it could be, you long for that, that time. Uh, those fond memories of childhood. It's the ruthless passage of time, the irretrievability of the past. That's kind of sad. Life is a unidirectional journey. You're going in one direction. You can't go back. And that creates kind of a sadness. For some, it's even more profoundly sad than that because uh, they look back in the past and it's not a time of innocence at all, but it's a time that should have been innocent. And it's not a time of sweetness at all, but it's a time that should have been sweet. And they have a feeling that they missed out on it, uh, that uh, they, they kind of grieve over what wasn't there in their family. For some people, it's a time where you remember the dreams that you had about life, and that reminds you of the fact that they didn't come to pass. 
All those ambitions you had, what life was going to be, the princess you were going to be, the knight in, white shining, knight, knight in shining armor that you were going to be. And life has a way sometimes for some people, for most of us to some degree, of not panning out quite the way we had scripted it to turn out. And that creates a kind of sadness. You thought you were going to be married by now, but you're not married. Or you were married in a, in a blue sky high, and you thought you'd have kids, but now you don't have kids. Or maybe you had a child, and you lost the child. And, and, and it's, a, it's a benchmark time that causes a lot of people to struggle, to grieve, uh, to have a kind of sadness there. And on top of all that, we have you know, the, the, the media blitz that goes on during the holiday season where you have all these pictures and portraits and you know, suggestions about what the ideal family is. There's this husband and wife with two children, and they're not bittersweet. They're not depressed. They're as happy as can be. They're totally abandoned, sold out to the situation as they're shopping at Target. That's why they're so happy is because they're shopping at Target, and that's the point of holding out the ideal. I used to say, I preached a sermon one time about, uh, you know, how we all long for an Amy Grant family. Uh, Because Target used to use Amy Grant as sort of the epitome of the ideal family. And it turns out her family wasn't so ideal. And that just sort of exposes the myth that there are ideal families. I mean, there are families that are pretty good, mind you. But but that myth of the ideal family is a myth. And yet it it, it kind of indicts us because most of us don't have that. And so this time of year can be a, a, a real struggling time. It's been particularly hard for me and my wife this year uh, for a number of reasons. There's just been a lot of sad stuff that happened in November, a lot of death, uh, some of it very tragic, um, just a lot of sad stuff going on. People going into emotional crises or spiritual crises, it's kind of like it was in July in this body. That's how it was towards the end of November, Uh, and it just seems like... There's an ordinary sort of pain quota that you have in a fallen world, but, but it's, it's higher than normal. But on top of all of that, that makes this season a little bit more difficult this time around, we had this, this last week, my, my wife uh, got a call uh, and found out that her, fa- her father, my father-in-law, uh, has uh, pretty advanced lung cancer. And um, they're now talking about what kind of radical treatment he needs to go through. He's 70 years old, and this does not look good at all. Uh, And so, understandably, there's a real heaviness in the family. The same day we found out that, I found out that my father, uh, Ed Boyd, the guy that I wrote letters from a skeptic with, uh, he's been a believer now for uh, 11 years, but he had a massive stroke. Um, He's had a number of strokes that have uh, taken away much of the use of his body, but this one was massive to the point where it caused brain hemorrhaging. And they brought him into the hospital, and initially he was pretty coherent, uh, just with a major headache, but within 24 hours, he had, his mental functions had deteriorated down to the point of a coma. And um, he was in a, in a coma. His kidneys, uh, they thought were going to fail, but they managed to correct that. You know, when you're 84, he's 84 years old, and uh, when one thing goes wrong, it tends to be the case that a lot of things start going wrong. So his kidneys start to shut down, but they were able to, to manage that. And then, and then his lungs started to uh, fill up with fluid uh, and started to fail. His uh, heart rate then, as he was struggling to breathe, went up to almost uh, fluctuated around 160 uh, for some time, which for most 84-year-olds, that would cause a cardiac arrest. But he's got this massive heart. It's a marathoning heart, and it's just... Uh, it, just, it just keeps on pumping. He has in his living will that we're not to, to do any, any sort of invasive or her, take any kind of, kind of invasive or heroic measures to keep him alive or to resuscitate him. 
So we didn't know whether he would want us to try to, uh, you know, put him on a ventilator or not. And we had to wrestle with that issue as the family. You know, what do you do? But the doctor said that they didn't know how much of the, the coma that he was in was the result of the brain damage and the deterioration of the brain and how much of it was caused by the pressure put on the brain because of the inflammation of the hemorrhage. And so they said, if you, you know, he might have a shot to recover at least part, a good deal of what he had before, which really wasn't much, but it's something to shoot after. And so we decided to put him on a ventilator. Well, the swelling in the brain didn't go down uh, like they were hoping it would. It got worse and worse and worse. So they approached us and they said, we would like to put a tube in his head and drain his skull uh, to take off the pressure, to take out the fluid and the blood that is building up there. And now things are getting really tough because would dad want this? Would dad want this? Um, some of us were of the opinion that maybe it's time just to let him go. And that is, that's too invasive and he wouldn't have wanted that. But others in the family said, well, you know, we don't, still don't know whether, you know, how much of his brain is, is still intact and, and, and this is the only shot he's got. And the doctor said that, that uh, even if you don't do this, he might still survive. It's just that you'll be sure that he'll survive with more brain damage than he otherwise would have had. And can you live with that? And it's, oh, it's a roll of dice here, you know. Sometimes life just really gets difficult. Well, we decided to go ahead and put the tube in the head. And that, you know, the thing is, we were asking, what would dad want? And the old dad would want to be out of here by now. Uh, I, I, but the, the dad, the post-Christian dad, he had, he had learned the, the grace of living with, with burdens. I, I could never see him enjoying life when he can't take care of himself, but he was enjoying it. And he was, he, I, I couldn't picture him, the old Ed Boyd, enjoying life without being able to see, uh, but he'd lost 90% of his seeing and without, he'd lost 90% of his hearing. And the last time I talked with him, he said, I'm so thankful for all that the Lord's blessed me with. So that's the new Ed Boyd. So even if he comes out of this, you know, mainly debilitated, maybe he would want to come out of this. We know that his left side uh, was totally paralyzed by the stroke, and the sad thing about that is that that was his good side. His other side uh, had been taken out by a previous stroke, all but a little functioning of the arm. He, uh, it looks like his, his uh, ability to swallow is, was taken out by this stroke. But we weighed everything together, and we said, go ahead and, and, and put the tube in the head, and, and let's, let's give him a shot at this. The, the doctor said that if, if the uh, coma is mainly the result of uh, the pressure on the brain and not brain damage itself, you ought to see uh, a pretty quick response. So we went there the, mo- the next morning after they'd put the tube in the head and were draining all the fluids out, all the blood out, went to the hospital, and there was some improvement. Uh, he was aware that we were in the room. Uh, and I'm, I am so thankful for that moment that we had. It may have been our last moment, but we had this moment together. It wasn't very long, but it was very, very precious. Uh, we talked to him, and you could tell he, we said, Dad, if you know we're in the room and you're doing okay, give us a thumbs up. And as he laid there with these tubes all over and, 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 and unable to open his eyes, his arm went up a little bit, and he, he went like that. <laughs> it was like, oh, Dad's home. Dad's home. And he gave us a thumbs up. And so we were able to tell him all the stuff you'd want to say to a dad in this condition, how much we loved him and how much we cared for him, how thankful we were for all he invested into our lives, uh, what a good husband he's been to his wife, and what a good dad he was to us. And 
he, ha- he has had a tough life. Uh, he, he, the, you know, we don't choose, for the most part, the hand we're going to be dealt, but we choose how we're going to respond to it. And in some ways, he was dealt a hard deck. Uh, but he made it through. He was strong. He was there. And so we were able to tell him this. And as we're talking to him, uh, you could see the emotion on his face. He couldn't cry open his eyes, but you could just see the look. He, 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 on the inside, was crying, even though his outside couldn't express it at all. When we had to leave, uh, they had to do something with him, and we had to go. And I just, uh, as I was leaving the room, I turned back and kind of hollered. I just said, Dad, we love you so much. We're pulling for you. We got to go now. We'll be back. And then I just said, bye-bye. And he mouthed with his lips, bye-bye. Bye-bye. And I'll, I'll, I was at the hospital door looking back when he did that. I'll never forget that. Bye-bye. I don't know if that was the final bye-bye or not. Right after that, he went back into the coma, and he hasn't come out since. And so now in this next week, we've got some very difficult decisions to make. Uh, weighing, you know, uh, weighing uh, uh, what we should do in this. How, long do you, uh, how much time do you give God to heal him? How long do you give his brain just to heal naturally if that's what's going to happen, if that can happen? And when do you say it's time to, to go home? It's a very, very tough situation. How do you know, how do you know what to hang on to? And, and what to let go, when to hang on and when to let go. And see, this is what I want to talk about here this morning. The, the question really is on one level this. Is it, possible, is it possible to celebrate, and I mean celebrate Christmas in a situation like this, with these kind of unanswered questions, with, with this kind of ambiguity, with this level of pain in your life, with this level of messiness in your life, is it possible to celebrate Christmas in the midst of this? Which is really a, a, a rather trivial a microcosm of the real question, which is this. Is it possible to live life fully and passionately and vibrantly and with a celebrating spirit amidst the messiness of life? When life is, throws a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of difficult decisions that you have to go on, is it possible to live fully and vibrantly? And I think answering that question takes us right into the heart of this passage. How do you believe all things and hope all things while you're still accepting, enduring, bearing all things? How do you put those two together? How do you know, uh, what to, is it possible to hang on to something even though, at the same time, in a sense, rejecting it. Let, let me illustrate kind of what I'm talking about. Um, take, a, take a family that is, uh, has had a severely retarded child. A severely retarded child. Uh, a mentally challenged child. On the one hand, they, hearing the gospel, reading the Bible, they see that healing is part of the provision of the cross. And so they, they want to shoot for the ideal. They want to believe all things and hope all things. And so they want to believe for a healing for this child. So they pray for this child and they do intercession for this child. They lay hands on this child. They anoint the child with, 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 with oil. They, they would like to have a child that's with, at least within the, the broadest stretch of, of bell curve normal for, for human beings, whatever that might be. This child's clearly off the chart on this. And it's good and understandable and godly that they do that and have faith about that. But see, if that's all they do, they believe all things and hope all things, if that's all they do, they never begin to bear all things and endure all things. They never begin to deal with the child as the child is. If healing doesn't happen, 
But that's, they're always shooting for the ideal. They never deal with the real as it is now. They never learn to love that child as it is in its handicap. They never learn how to celebrate this child as it is, how to embrace this child. They never plan for the unique challenges they're going to have raising a child like this. It's good to strive, to believe, and to hope for all things, but at the same time, there's got to come a point where love endures and bears and accepts and celebrates. How do you put those two together? That's the question I want us to live in. A lot of us are going to families in the holiday season. And some of these families I know firsthand are, are, are not necessarily healthy. Some of them are maybe a little dysfunctional. Maybe they're a lot dysfunctional. There's unresolved conflicts. There's maybe a weird behavior that goes on. There's undercurrents. There's sideways language. There's no talk rules and a lot of stuff. And on the one hand, you want to believe the best and hope the best in all things. And sometimes that means confronting behavior that needs to be confronted and challenging it and being bold about that. But see, if that's all you do, If you spend all your energy shooting for the ideal, you'll never deal with the real. So you never get around to loving them as they are, to dealing with them as they are, to accepting them as they are. They never see that Christ-like kind of love that takes them as is. You want to continue to hope and believe, but at the same time, there's a point where you just bear and endure. How do you put those two together? Or with our own lives individually. There's stuff in your life that isn't ideal. There's stuff in your life that shouldn't be there. In all of our lives, there is. There's struggles that go on. Maybe there's uh, wounds that that we need to be healed from. There's behaviors. There's addictions. There's there's all sorts of stuff that is not conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And on the one hand, you need to believe in the ideal, to believe all things and hope all things about yourself. That's good. And so you strive. You strive towards holiness. You strive towards health. You strive to become all that you can be in Jesus Christ. But if that's all you do, you never get around to accepting yourself as you are. I know so many people who live with for a perpetual disgruntledness about themselves that they, they never get around to, just celebrate, to accepting things as they are. There's a point where you've got to you know, accept, accept the uniqueness of who you are and, and, and love who you are because you're made in the image of Jesus Christ despite the behavior. How do you balance those two things? If you only accept, you never grow towards holiness. But if you're only striving towards holiness, you never accept. How do you believe all things and hope all things while also enduring all things and being patient with all things? A man's dying with cancer. He's uh, you know, in, in, in the, the, the final stages. And the family is so intent on believing all things and hoping all things that they're striving for healing and that's all they want to talk about. And they un- unfortunately and tragically think it's a lack of faith to even consider the possibility that he won't be healed. So they believe all things and hope all things, and that's good, and and they have faith about a healing. That's wonderful. But if that's all they do, if they're so busy shooting for the ideal, they never deal with the real. And so they never ask the question, they never bring closure to things that need to be brought closure, you need to bring closure to. They, They never make plans about the future. And many times when a person dies in that state, it's, it's absolutely, it's more traumatic than it would have to be. How do you put these things together? The thing that really, intrigues me is this. Paul, in this passage, uh, can you put it up there again, Dan? He says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And the form, the grammatical structure of this passage is is, uh, is of of, of this nature. It's an A-B-B-A structure. That is to say, the the, the first and the last clause go together and the middle ones go together. A-B-B-A. So it bears and endures and it believes and hopes. And the, the force of that structure is this. You have 
believing and hoping sandwiched between bearing and enduring. And the suggestion of that structure is that these all belong inextricably together. They're not in competition with one. In fact, the way it's structured, you can't have one without the other, as paradoxical as that sounds. Even the way I've been talking about it makes it sound like the two are in competition. But in fact, what Paul is saying is that love believes and hopes precisely because it it bears and endures, and it bears and endures precisely because it believes and hopes. Let's, let's, Let's unpack that paradox a little more. You know, it, it's, it, the Bible says in John 3.16, the one verse that most people in this culture know, because it's on football games, is God so loved the world, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave himself, he gave all of himself without reservation. He poured himself out. Now, the world that God gave himself to was not a beautiful world. It wasn't an ideal world. It was a real world. The real world was a fallen world. It was a world at war with God. It was a, a world full of sin. It was a world of rebels that, that uh, crucified God when he came. It was a world that was far from ideal, a very imperfect world, a messy world, but it was the real world, and that's the world that God loved and God gave to. He didn't love the world because the world was in the ideal. He loved the world as the real world, as is, and that's what moves the world towards God's ideal. He endured and, and, and uh, uh, bore the world because he had hope and, and faith in the world. He believed all things and hoped all things, and that's why he accepted all things and loved all things as they are. There's a lot about the world God didn't love, but he loved the world. And see, that is, I think, precisely the dynamic of love. It doesn't... It doesn't compromise dealing with the real for the ideal, and it doesn't compromise the ideal when it deals with the real. Rather, it, 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 it pushes towards the ideal by embracing and loving and living fully in the real. And the real is here, and the real is now, and the real is always messy, it's always imperfect, but the love of God embraces it, it bears it, it endures it as it is, and, and, and that's what pushes it more towards God's ideal. So let's go back to the illustrations we were talking about. Amen. God does it with you and God does it with me. Paul said that, that, that it's the love of, of God that constrains us. The love of God constrains us. It, it, it's, it's when God loves me as I am that I'm motivated to become more than I am, you see. He doesn't love me after I become more than I am as a condition. He loves me up front. And that's what moves me to be more than I am. One other thing about this. And that is that the Bible says that God is joyful. And we've seen this the last six months. God operates out of a center of fullness. His being is full. He is love, and love is joy, and love is life. And out of the fullness of that, he gives to the world. Jesus said in John, I've come that my joy might be fulfilled in you. Okay, God comes as a joyful being. Yes, he grieves in the real, and he suffers in the real. But amidst that, there is a joy, and he comes in the midst of the real, the here and the now, as is, as messy as, and imperfect as it is, and he gives joy. And it's in giving the joy that we're motivated to move out of that. God's motive, motivation is not joy at the end. It's joy in the midst. God doesn't give joy at the end of the journey. He gives it at the beginning of the journey, and that's the fuel that moves us through the journey. When you learn, 
when you learn the secret of, of, of living in love, the love that gives amidst the real messiness of things, which means it has to be a love that's unconditional. But when you learn that, now you've found the biblical principle of losing your life and therefore finding your life. You've learned the principle of a joy that's way more significant than happiness because happiness is based on external, situa- on exter- external circumstances. Let's go back to the illustrations we were using. If a child that's severely retarded, I don't know what God's normal bell curve of of, uh, brain function would be. I'm sure it would be very wide and there would be a lot of differentiation there and a lot of different IQ scales on it. But this is way off the charts. And so the family that has this child that's severely retarded, they want to believe all things and hope all things and that's good. And so as God leads them, they should pray for healing. They should seek for healing. That's a good, godly, biblical thing to do. Uh, it may be that God would at some point release them of that, like he did with Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, but as long as they feel led, they should press towards that. But believing all things and hoping all things does not mean ignoring things as they really are. Rather, it broadens what it means to believe all things and hope all things. They should believe all things and hope all things and not narrow it down just to healing. But if healing's not possible here, now they should believe and hope all things for this child as it is. Lord, help us to be the best parents we can be to this child as it is. And Lord, impact our life through this child and use us to impact this child and use our relationship to, in whatever way you can, impact the world. To believe all things and, and to, to hope all things is not in competition with bearing all things and endure all things. They, they accept this child, they bear it, they, they put up with it. And precisely in loving that child as it is, they move themselves and that child and to a little degree the world closer to, to, to God's ideal. Ultimately, to believe all things and to hope all things is to believe that, that, that God wins in the end. And by the way, the biblical concept of hope isn't like we sometimes use the, the you know, I hope the Vikings win. Probably not, but I hope they win. You know, we use it kind of as, as, a, as, a, as a wish, you know. Uh, in the Bible, hope is a confident assurance. And so, so we are to believe all things and hope all things, and ultimately that is to have the confident assurance that when, God, when this whole thing is wrapped up, your child is not going to be brain injured like this, but will have a mind that human beings were meant to have, a brain that functions like brains were supposed to function, and legs that walk like legs were supposed to walk, and have a relationship with, 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 with you and other people like, like human beings were meant to have. That's what to believe all things and hope all things means in this instance. But don't wait for that to happen to get around to living. Don't wait for that to happen to get around to, get around to loving. Don't wait for that to happen to, before you get around to giving in the real here and now. We so often put life on hold because we don't like the results. Forget the results. This is what you've got. This is what is real. Here and now, God calls you to live. Here and now, God calls you to love. Here and now, God calls you to celebrate. Here and now, God calls you to embrace the world as it is. And that doesn't mean you give up believing and hoping. That's an expression that you're believing and hoping. You have families that you go to, you know, uh, believe all things, hope all things. Confront when you need to confront. You know, don't just accept everything as it is in, in the sense of participating in the dysfunction. But at the same time, don't wait to, uh, don't suspend life with your family until you see a particular outcome. There are times where even out of love you have to distance yourself from people who are, uh, as an act of love for yourself and for them, there's a time where sometimes you have to distance yourself. But even there, don't wait until the family is ideal enough for you to love them. You're not ideal yet, and yet God loves you, and you're called to love yourself. 
Love them in the midst of the whole thing. Don't wait till they finally get their act together before you decide to love them and give yourself towards them because they're probably never going to get their act together and you're probably never going to fully get your act together. But if you're putting life on hold till things look good enough, you'll never get around to living. But God called, he says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And life is always right now. The past is gone. The future isn't here yet. This is what's real. Let's start living right here and right now. Start loving right here and right now. And the promise of the word, and it's true, is that as you do that, there's a joy that you find. See, happiness waits for the conclusion. Happiness is, is an inference that we draw when our circumstances are, 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 are sufficient, okay? When, when, uh, when they're adequate, then, then, then we're happy. But happiness, if you're chasing after happiness, you'll never find joy. You see, if you're always busy trying to, to make people, you know, such that you're happy, see, you're still centered on yourself. When you die to that and give yourself away in the midst of the mess, you'll find something far more precious. The Bible calls it joy. It's true of yourself as well. You, you hold to the ideal. Strive for the ideal. You got stuff in your life that needs to be dealt with. Deal with it. You know, never give up. Never give up. Uh, uh, opening yourself more to the power of God to get you out of the bondages that you're a part of and the attitudes and the behaviors and all the ungodly stuff that's in your life. Know that that is... That that, don't ever just say, oh, you know, roll over and play dead. This is just the way I am. Hogwash. That's not just the way you are. That is the way you are right now, but God knows you can be more than that, so strive for that. But... At the same time, don't postpone celebrating who you are till you get there. Rather, the way you're going to get there is by celebrating who you are. You don't have to love everything about yourself to love yourself. You see, uh, now is the time in the real now with all of your messiness, imperfections, undone stuff, unanswered questions, unresolved conflicts, right now, not tomorrow, not yesterday, but now is the time to say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am knit together in a unique way. I've got a unique perspective. God's made me who I am. He loves me. He died for me. That means I have unsurpassable worth. I'm going to celebrate that. I'm going to dance in that right now. Now wait till you get everything together. Amen. And the very act of doing that, you see, the very act of doing that is what motivates you to change. As you, it's out of celebrating what is, who you are in your inherent worth, that now you're motivated to change uh, fundamental things about you. The joy, the life, the love comes at the beginning of the journey, not at the end, and it's the fuel that we run on throughout our journey. You're dying of cancer, don't know how long you have left. As God leads you, he may release you from this, but as God leads you, you believe, you pray, uh, you, shoot, you believe all things, hope for all things, and part of what that means is you strive for healing, and that's a good thing, and that's a godly thing, it's a biblical thing. Get people around you and do intercession. But at the same time, to believe all things and hope all things includes, not excludes, enduring and bearing all things, putting up with all things, so you deal with the real. Faith is not a gimmick mind trip we play with ourselves to pretend that something is is different than it really is, Uh, where we try to talk ourselves into a psychological certainty about a particular outcome. If you've been here for for very long, you know that we've we've covered this from a biblical perspective. There's a lot of variables that that affect outcomes, and you usually can't have psychological certainty about how things are going to turn out. Faith is a move towards kind of action. You have faith that God can heal you. Fine, move towards that. Pray about that. But that doesn't mean never deal with the, the plan of what happens if that doesn't happen. Jesus said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But in this case, it wasn't possible. So also, you just pray, Father, heal me. And, 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 and believe all things and hope all things. But at the same time, don't wait. And ultimately, to believe all things and hope all things means 
you know that you'll eventually be healed, if not in this life, in the next life. And there'll be a time when you won't have any more cancer and you'll be in a world that's not played by that sort of thing. But don't wait till you die and don't wait till you're healed to, to get around to living in the now. This is the real world. It's not pleasant sometimes. It's not happy sometimes. It's very painful sometimes. It's messy oftentimes. But this is the one world we got. And if God loved the world in this messiness, we've got to love the world in this messiness. And so that, embra- that means embracing the now. If you've got two days left, live it to the fullest. Embrace it to the fullest. Pour yourself out in the fullest. Ask this question, how can I love passionately like Jesus Christ right here and right now? In this hospital bed, i got two days left maybe. I'm still praying for healing, but if that doesn't happen or whether it happens or not, right now I have for sure and I need to love. My, the call on my life is to love like Christ loves right here and right now. And when you do that, embracing the now in all of its messiness, you find something far more profound than happiness. You find joy. You find joy because now you're participating in the life of God and God is joyful. To give your life away. I don't know what's going to happen with my father this week. Uh, I would rather not think about it, but we really don't have a choice. Uh, I, part of me, it's so complex, you know. Part of me, I, there's a part of me that's afraid. And some of you maybe will have a judgment about this, but part of me is like I'm a little hesitant to pray for healing. Unless it's a really, really good healing, because if he just comes out of it, I don't know if he'd, if he just comes out of it and is sort of semi-conscious and can't move anything and can't communicate and can't think and can't do anything, I, 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 don't, I don't know if, if, if he would want that. I don't know. Just think about this. You know, God kicked us out of the garden because it wasn't good for us to live forever in the condition we were in. He says, don't let him eat of the tree of life, because otherwise he'll live forever. In, this, in, in the fallen state we're in now, death, while it's on one level a curse, it's also a, a gift. It puts us out of our misery. And it, it graduates us to something much better if you know Jesus Christ. I, I, sometimes, you know, I thank God for medicine. I really do. I, it, my dad wouldn't be here now. I, I wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for medicine. I thank God for it, for doctors, all of them. Praise God. I think they're doing the work of God. But, but amen. I, I, but sometimes I think... Sometimes I think we, we're trying to, we, we, we can go so far that we begin to play God. And, and there's a time to hang on and fight and there's a time to let go. And I wonder sometimes if we don't get into a competition with death where we think, you know, we push it too far. I don't know. This is the question I'm living in. But I still want to believe and pray, Father, heal him, restore him back. It'd be good to have another year or two with him. And he was, you know, such a testimony by how gracious he lived. On the other hand, if that doesn't happen... And ultimately, to believe all things and hope all things is this. Lord, to heal him if that can happen here. But if it doesn't, I also believe and hope with a confident assurance that I'll see my dad again. And maybe that bye-bye was our last words, but we'll say hello, hello very shortly. And uh, I will see my father uh, with, the, with a transformed body, the body that Jesus Christ had, and, and dancing before God and, and rejoicing and celebrating that all has been forgiven and all is reconciled and, if, and seeing the full depth and glory and joy and purity and innocence of that and, and, and living in the fullness of God's love. And we'll be doing that together and, and there'll be no more sorrow and death. And, and I believe all things and I hope all things for that. And if I didn't believe that, this would be a really despairing time for me. But I believe that. But in the meantime, I'm not going to put my life on hold waiting for the healing or waiting for him to die. I got today. 
And he's there today, and I, I, I want to give my life to him. And I don't know whether he can hear me or not, but that doesn't matter. I'm called to love him as it is right now. Celebrate who he is right now. I can be grateful for every memory that I've had right here and right now. I, I can embrace him as this isn't ideal, but when is life ever ideal? In fact, this sucks to high heaven, and life often does. But that's no excuse to stop living. It's, it, live now in the mess. I will tell him I love him. In the meantime, I got three beautiful children, a beautiful wife that I got a whole week to live with them and to love with them. And I've got friends, I've got family, I got you folks. I got so much to be thankful for. And and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna endure and bear all things, even as I believe and hope all things. And it's on that fiddler, fiddler on the roof balance that we live. You see, it's the art of living gracefully amidst painful ambiguity. The art of living gracefully amidst painful ambiguity. And the way to do that is to love. To love, not seek to be happy by, by feeding off your environment, but rather get fullness of life from Jesus Christ. And out of that fullness, give. Give your life away. At every moment, in every situation, however messy, that is the right time to give, to love, to embrace, to celebrate. Can you celebrate Christmas when you have these sorts of ethical, painful questions on you and a messy situation like this? and family like this, and health like this, and boyfriend like this, and wife like this, and kids. Of course you can. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is not about being happy. We could do that without Jesus. Christmas is about joy, and that only Jesus can do. He does it in your life, however messy it is, and then you can do it in the world, however messy it is. Let me ask this question if everyone would just pray. Are you here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You, you, you've never surrendered your life to Him. It's a matter of your innermost being, your heart. Maybe your life is very, very messy and you've always thought that, that God doesn't want anything to do with messy stuff. But if you've heard me this morning, you know that God specializes in messy stuff. If you want to accept Jesus, that means gaining eternal life. That means entering into an eternal, unending relationship with Him. I want to I take one minute to do this. This is all. But I want you to stand up right where you are. Be bold. You make a statement. I need Jesus. I want Jesus. Or maybe you're amen. Several people around the auditorium standing up. Or maybe, and please stay standing. Um, or maybe your life is really together and you're happy. But you don't have joy. But you just stand up. The one who created you is the only one who can satisfy the innermost longings of the heart. Anybody else, just stand up where you are. Anybody else? Amen. Brother, praise God. Sister, thank you. Just join these. It's, it, it, the, the Lord made it so simple. He, he says we confess. Amen. Thank you over there. Confess with our mouth and believe with our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you shall be saved. This is eternal life. Anybody else, you're willing to say, I need you. I'm desperate for you. Maybe you feel that, maybe you don't, but at some level you know you need him. Over there, praise God, a wonderful family standing up. Anybody else? Take one more moment. Yes, oh, stand up, amen, against the wall. Brother, around the auditorium, there's several people. Anybody else? Just, you're just saying, I need Jesus Christ. I'm just going to pray for you from up here. You want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. One last time, just stand up where you are. Okay, wonderful. There's several people around the congregation. Uh, would you pray this prayer with me right where you're at? And when we're done praying, I want to invite you over to this table to get some information to help you uh, uh, walk with the Lord, just some stuff to get you started. But we're all going to join with you in this prayer, okay? Over there, you folks who are standing, just pray with me out loud. Heavenly Father, 
You created me. You made me. You are my Lord. But I have not lived in a way that reflects that. I confess that I'm a sinner. I've lived my own life. But I now want to surrender my life over to you. I believe that Jesus Christ came into this world and died on the cross for me. And so I ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me, wash me, come and live in me, and give me that life that I'm so hungry for. Thank you for loving me as I am. And help me to become all that you know I can be. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. God bless you who are standing around. Amen. Wonderful. Welcome to the kingdom of God. All the angels in heaven rejoice. All the angels in heaven rejoice. Amen. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. That, that's where it's at. Now, you who made that decision, please take the next step, which is just going over to this table and receiving some information, free stuff that will just help you get started in the Christian life. You need to get engaged uh, with the body very quickly. Would the prayer team come forward? And if you're here this morning and have any need whatsoever that you would like to pray about, I encourage you to do that. That's what they're here for. And... Uh, No reason to take that out of the auditorium with you. God bless you. Go forth in the power and the love of Jesus Christ. Amen.